Good morning, church. So good to see you this morning. Um, if you've been here for a while, you know that we're in the middle of a series uh, called Kingdom Parables, and we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Parables, these stories that Jesus uh, would tell to kind of uh, mess with the minds of the religious people of his day. And so uh, I think if we get to uh, what is behind the, the true, if, if we try to discover the true message of Jesus' uh, parables as opposed to just treating them as moralistic lessons, I, I think they will mess with our minds as, as well. This morning, uh, we are in our second week on one parable, and that is the parable that's been referred to for a very, very long time as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about our deadly older brother syndrome, okay? And I'm going to explain to you what, what I mean by that, but we're going to be talking about our deadly older brother syndrome, because that's what this parable really is all about. Usually, when, when, uh, when pastors and teachers uh, preach on, on this particular passage, um, the teaching ends where we ended last week, where the prodigal son comes home, the father goes out, welcomes him, kisses him, throws a party, end of story. And then we're inspired, we might even get a little choked up, it's so awesome, and the, the moral of the story is be forgiving or, or be accepting, right? But I am telling you right now that the people listening to Jesus were not inspired, they did not get choked up. They were mad. They were furious, right? They, they got totally bent out of shape because the story does not end right there with the son coming home. I mean, this, this, this whole chapter starts with a confrontation. In verse 1, the super religious uh, people were, were criticizing Jesus for welcoming sinners and eating with them. Their attitude was basically saying, you know what, Jesus, you should be taking a stand. I mean, you're, you're totally pandering to these immoral people. You're not helping our efforts in our culture war. You are condoning their sin. You're sending a confusing message at best. And Jesus is saying, time out. Let me tell you something. And Jesus comes back at them with three parables. And the main point is, is not really about the prodigal son coming home. Jesus just totally knocks the wind out of these religious people by adding a conversation at the end between the father and the older brother. See, the people listening to Jesus, they, they'd be intrigued and then maybe a little confused. And Jesus continues the story and, and they get frustrated. And then at the very end, there's the punchline and they are mad. They hate the story. 
See, if you understand the context of this parable, you see that, that Jesus is not talking so much about prodigals as he's talking about self-righteous religious people. It is not so much about the assurance of acceptance no matter how badly we've screwed up our lives, although it definitely, most definitely includes that. But the main point here is an in-your-face warning from Jesus to good people. An in-your-face warning to people who seem to have it all together. That doesn't sound right, does it? Jesus is saying, if that doesn't mess with you enough, let let me mess with you more. Jesus is saying that nothing comes between you and God like having this false assurance in your morality and in your goodness. Nothing is a bigger obstacle to a relationship with the Father than relying on your decency and and your respectability and your ability to keep the rules. This right here, I mean, this is the punchline of Jesus' story here. And the original listeners, listeners were shocked, confused, frustrated, and angry. They either thought Jesus was exaggerating or just irresponsibly wrong. I mean, their view was that what Jesus was teaching here was just, just unwise and ungodly. Maybe even question his motives. See, even the most patient Pharisee was thinking, hey, listen, Jesus, I, I think it might be wise if you would kind of reword your story a little bit. Because people might think that, you know, it's okay to, to, to sin, that, that everything's going to be cool if, if, if you don't obey God and, and it's not worth it to, to obey him and, and keep the rules. I don't know, maybe you're thinking the same thing. See, Jesus wants us to to understand this deadly older brother syndrome. And I I think a couple of questions we need to tackle here is, how do you know if you've been infected with this older brother syndrome? And then once you realize that you have been infected with it, what do you do? What can be done about it? So if you're taking notes, we're going to see how Jesus heals our deadly older brother syndrome. And we begin with step one. And that is this, that Jesus diagnoses our condition. Jesus, most of the time we don't think anything's wrong, everything's cool, right? But Jesus, out of love and grace, diagnoses our condition. Let me ask you something. How can you identify an older brother? How can you identify him? I mean, he's, he's not in the pig pen, right? So you can't identify him that way. Older brothers are, you know, clean. He's not cursing God. He's not doing bad things. He's not breaking the rules. So you can't find him that way either. So how do you identify this older brother? Well, I'm going to rattle off real quickly about seven symptoms that are pretty common. And, and maybe, maybe older brothers don't have all seven, but maybe a few of them at least, okay? And I'm, I'm going to rattle them off real quickly. And the first one is anger. When the older brother heard that his little brother was home and that the father threw this big old party to, to celebrate, what is the older brother's first reaction? 
he was what? Yeah, he was angry. See, older brothers have this, this tendency to get angry when they don't think that their lives are going the way that they should be going. And older brothers have an amazing ability to justify their anger. After all, God gets angry, and then all of a sudden they justify all their anger, even sinful anger. And here's the thing. Here's what I learned. There are two kinds of anger when it comes to older brothers. If, if older brothers are, are they're obeying all the rules and things all of a sudden go wrong, they get angry with God, and they say, you know what? I don't deserve this. I've been keeping the rules. I've been trying to serve you. Or if he's not obeying the rules, things go wrong, and, and older brothers can get condemningly angry at themselves and say, well, you know what, I do, do, I do deserve this, so therefore God is punishing me. But here's the deal. If you are a Christian, when things go wrong, you know that God is not punishing you. You know that because Jesus already took your punishment for you. That's the whole point of the cross. And you're not mad at God because if Jesus died for you because he loved you and wants the best for you, then you know that God will use anything and everything that comes into your life for your ultimate good. He will bring good out of it. We may not understand it. We may not know how he does it in this life. But that's the promise that we have. Okay, I'll move faster from here. Second, lack of joy. Verse 28 goes on to say, he refused to go in to the party. He he can't bring himself to enter the father's joy. See, older brothers view life as obligation. We're talking about Christianity here. There's no, there's no party. There's, there's no dance. There's, there's no joy. Right? Third, they hate God's law. I mean, look, this is a little bit surprising because it seems like they love God's law. But check out verse 29. He says, look at these many years that I have served you. Or your translation might say, I slaved for you and I never disobeyed your command. See, older brothers are law-abiding on the outside, but on the inside, they hate God's law. And they don't even know it until their lives fall apart. I mean, at first, they love it when they have convinced themselves that they are keeping God's law, and they look down on people who are not doing as well as they are and wonder what's wrong with those people. But when things do go wrong, And God doesn't give them what what they want after being so good for so long. Suddenly, God's law is oppressive slavery. It is burdensome obligation. But what's a true godly person look like? Well, the psalmist says in the first chapter that his delight is in the law of the, of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. Right? And, and here's, here's the thing. This is why this can be a little tricky. Because both Christians and um, older brothers, both of them keep the law of God. So it may not be obvious on the surface. But the question is, 
Why? Why does the Christian keep God's law? And why do older brothers, you know, self-righteous religious people keep God's law? Well, older brothers obey to get, right? God's this giant pinata in the sky, and our obedience is the stick that we beat him with to get what we really want. All these years I have slaved, and you never gave me. And so it's like, hey, what's going on? We try to leverage that. Pry God's fingers off of his blessing, because look at all this stuff that I did for you. Look at all this stuff I didn't do. (sighs) See, Christians don't obey to get. Christians obey to give. To give God thanks for God's mercy. To give God uh, glory for his grace. And then fourth, lack of assurance. The older brother says this. Check it out. He says, you never even give me a young goat that I, might be, that I might celebrate with my friends. And what does the father say? The father says, son, all that is mine is yours. So, I mean, this should have been obvious to the older son, but it wasn't. Not only does he not love the father, I mean, he's not even sure where he stands with his father. He doesn't experience the father's love and embrace because he can't even recognize it. I mean, if you ask a a Christian, if you ask somebody who ends up being a Christian, are you a Christian? Here's what happens. If they think about it, a Christian will, I mean, their their face will, will light up and they'll say, yeah, I mean, I can't believe it either. I mean, it's crazy. It's a, it's a miracle that I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I don't deserve this amazing grace. You ask an older brother, are you a Christian? And the attitude's of, of, of course, why are you asking me? Like, uh, I, I, I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, don't, don't you notice I go to church like all the time? Right? Don't you see all the good stuff I do? Fifth, critical of others. Older brothers are, they they may be unsure where they stand, but they are very sure where other people stand. They're very sure where the younger brother stands. In verse 30, the, the older brother says, but when this son of yours, I mean, he won't even call him his brother, right? Older brothers are constantly judging. And, and here's, I am convinced of this. True Christians... True Christians are the most non-judgmental people in the world. Not because they say, hey, you know, it's no big deal, do whatever you want. Not because of that attitude, but because they know that they have broken God's law and that they have received nothing but grace and mercy and love from, from the Father. Therefore... The only logical response is is to be humble towards other people and gracious towards other people, right? Six, they can't forgive. The older brother refused to forgive his brother. Why? Because the older brother feels superior. He may not admit it, but they feel superior. And he's thinking, here's what he's thinking. If I could sum it up this way. He sums it up like this. I would never do that. I would never do that, ever. I would never do what he did. Now, here's, here's something I want you to wrestle with, okay? If there's somebody in your life that you cannot forgive, more than likely, 
more than likely, not necessarily 100% here, but it probably is, it's because your thinking, your attitude is, I would never do that. I would never do what you did. And self-righteousness is messing you up. It's robbing you of peace. And the problem is your perceived goodness. Right? And then the last thing I'll mention is this. Older brothers hate older brothers. Some of you were younger brothers like me. You became a Christian. You realized that you got a lot of flack from older brother types that are really good at being good or whatever. And it just bugs you to no end. And so now that your eyes have been opened to what Jesus is really getting at in this parable, I mean, you love it that Jesus is giving the Pharisees like the smackdown, right? Like, go get him, Jesus, right? You hate Pharisees, and here's the irony. <laughs> You're becoming an older brother towards older brothers, Judgmental towards judgmental people. So, there are, there's a short list of some of the symptoms of the deadly older brother syndrome. And you know what? It's pretty easy to list this stuff off. You know why? Because it takes one to know one. Right? I still struggle with this deadly older brother syndrome, especially Especially the irony of me becoming an older brother towards older brothers. So thank God Jesus diagnoses our condition. Second, Jesus opens our eyes to the cause. He doesn't just give us a diagnosis. He opens our eyes to the cause. And what is the cause of our older brother syndrome? First of all, first of all Jesus is saying that the good son is lost, okay? Jesus gives three parables in Luke 15. In each one, there is something where it should not be, right? The sheep is where it shouldn't be. The coin is where it shouldn't be. The, the younger son is where he shouldn't be. And in every situation, someone is going out. The shepherd goes out to get the lost, the lost sheep. The woman goes to, to find the lost coin. The father goes out to welcome the prodigal son. And now what do we have at the end of the story? The older brother is outside while the party's going on on the inside. The older brother now is where he should not be. And the father goes out again, this time for the older brother. And Jesus is saying that this good son is as lost as the sheep. This good son is as lost as the coin. This good son is as lost as the bad son. But you know what? Jesus is saying more than that. Jesus is saying that the good son is more lost than the bad son. How's that? What, what in the world? Well, Jesus says the father had two sons. Good son, bad son. Obedient, disobedient. And at the end of the story, it's the bad son that comes into the party, and it's the good son that is left outside. 
So Jesus is saying there's a sense in which the older brother is more lost. And guess what? He's saying even more than that. I mean, if this doesn't frustrate you enough already, Jesus is going to frustrate you even more. Because Jesus is saying that the older brother is lost because of his good works. A theologian by the name of John Gerstner says this, the thing that separates us from God is not our sins, but our damnable good works. How can a respected theologian say something like that? What is he talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. How can that be? Well, there are a couple things. Good works can hide your battle with God. Sin is, see, sin is trying to be our own savior, our own Lord. In younger brother syndrome, I mean, in younger brother syndrome, you know, bad son syndrome, whatever, I mean, it is pretty straightforward. You just, like, go for it, right? You go off the deep end and you're having the blast. You're like, woohoo, all the way. I don't need God. I'll be my own savior. I'm going to decide for myself what I want, what is good for me. Let's go, yeehaw. And so when there's smoke, you know where the fire is because when your life falls apart, you come to your senses and you're like, oh, wow, well, maybe I do need God because that didn't work out very well at all for me. But in the older brother syndrome, your good works or your goodness hides the fact that you don't really love God at all. That you're looking to yourself and, and your obedience for your assurance. Uh, essentially, you're being your own savior, your, your own Lord. And so when life falls apart, there is smoke all over the place. But you can't find the fire because you're so good. It's hidden. It's not as obvious. And then the second thing I'll mention is that Goodness can be your main weapon in your battle with God. And what I mean is you use your goodness against God. Why is the older brother angry? You know why he's angry? Because he obeyed. He's angry because he was good. That's why he's alienated. He's saying to God, you know what? I do not like the way that you're running the universe. It's not fair. I obeyed. You owe me. I deserve better than this. And you know what? Your heart will use your goodness to try to take control of God and those around you. And you will feel superior to other people. And you will treat them as if you're superior to them. But not just superior to other people. I've seen this. You end up feeling superior to God. Like, God does not know what he's doing. I mean, I've been good. Why is this happening to me? He does not know what's going on. You just became superior to God in your mind, in your heart. Hmm. So easy, easy to 
get into a place where you feel like God owes you and there will be an obvious lack of joy. Jesus is saying that the older brother, is this thing on or did we lose it? Good. <clears throat> Jesus is saying that the older brother is lost because of his good works. And guess what? He's saying even more than that. Jesus is saying that the older brother is lost because of his good works reasoning. And I'll explain to you what I mean. And by way of explanation, I want to start with this. Jesus is not saying you shouldn't be good. He's not saying that you shouldn't be moral. He's not saying that, that you shouldn't keep God's law. Of course you should, should, you should keep the law, but the question is why? See, the older brother is looking at life through the morality lens. He divides the world like this. There are good people and bad people. And his reasoning says, I'm good, therefore God needs to reward me. Therefore, God needs to give me a good life. Well, Jesus was perfect, and look what happened to him. Right? Jesus says, you got a false view of, of reality. It's the wrong lens. Jesus divides the world like, like this. There is God, us. God is good, we are not. See, gospel reasoning says, God loves us even though we are not good. Therefore, I want to glorify God by being good. He loved me when I was not good. Therefore, I want to respond by expressing love to him and obeying him because I trust him and I know he wants the best for me. And I want him to receive all of the glory and honor. I mean, it is, it is rooted in affection for God. The underlying problem is a false view of reality, wrong foundational assumptions about how the world works that comes from looking at life through the morality lens. So how do we recover from our deadly older brother syndrome? Thank God Jesus diagnoses our, our, our condition. Otherwise, we'd be clueless about it. And he opens our eyes to the cause. Otherwise, we'd be blaming everybody else, including God. And then finally, Jesus applies the cure and what is the cure? The cure is that we need a true older brother. See, there is something different between this parable uh, and the first two. At, at the end of this parable, there's a failure, right? In the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd goes out, finds the sheep. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman searches for the coin and, and finds it. And here, the father goes out to bring in the younger brother, and the younger brother comes in. But at the end of this parable, the older brother fails to do anything at all. We see that he failed to do anything at all. He just stays put, and he, he fails to even care about his younger brother. In fact, he despises his father's joy. He's made furious by his father's grace, and he resents the father's love for his brother. See, before Jesus told these, these stories, and you... You read throughout the Gospels, the, the self-righteous religious people bitterly criticized Jesus for reaching out to and becoming friends with sinners and loving them. And Jesus didn't say to the sinners, you know what, you're, you're all a bunch of idiots. 
And I'm telling you that because I love you. It's a loving thing to do. Jesus did speak truth. And sometimes difficult truth. But he treated sinners as beloved friends, not enemies. He made them actually feel loved. He didn't just go, I did that because I love you. He made them feel loved. He became their friends. He ate with them. And through this parable, Jesus says to the Pharisees, this older brother is you. His point is to contrast his ministry to theirs. Jesus reaches out to sinners because his father does. I mean, this is at the heart of the parable. I mean, this is what a brother should do. But in the parable, what does this brother do? Nothing. In fact, when he lost his, when, when the lost brother comes home, I mean, he won't even eat with them. But what does the true older brother do? He goes and he looks for the lost. Jesus is saying, yes, you Pharisees are like the older brother. You refuse to eat with sinners. But who does? God the Son. Jesus eats with sinners. He is a friend to sinners. Jesus is the true older brother. Jesus seeks and saves the lost like he did for me. Now, I, I, I want you to notice something here. And it's something that I need to focus on. I want you to notice how Jesus tells this story. I mean, in the story, he has the father actually pleading and treating the older brother. The Pharisee brother. The father is telling the Pharisee brother, come in! This son of mine was lost, now he's found. This brother of yours was lost, now he's found. Come into the party! The father doesn't say, you stupid idiot, you hard-headed fool, you rebellious, ungrateful little jerk. No, there's affection. You see the affection by him addressing the older brother as my son, right? He said to him, son, come into the party. This, Jesus loves older brothers. Jesus loves Pharisees. What else does a true older brother do? Well, in the parables of Jesus, as you read them, the symbol of the feast is very important. And the feast here pictures the last feast, heaven's feast. And heaven's feast is not prepared by the killing of the fattened calf. No, heaven's feast is prepared in the broken body and the shed blood of our true older brother. Do you see the reality of what we're talking about here? On the cross, Jesus was dying outside. And does the father go running to him saying, my, my son, come into the feast. No, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was silence. And the, and the father closed the door and Jesus died there alone. Why? Because the only way for you and me to be found was for him to be lost. 
The only way for, for you and me to come him, for you and me to come in was for him to be left out. The only way for you and me to be embraced by the Father was for Jesus to be forsaken by the Father. Jesus paid the price so that you and I could wear his robe and wear his ring and come into the feast and with the Father and, and just and dance with joy. What is the only cure for the deadly older brother syndrome? You need to have an older brother like this. So let me ask you, as I close here, let me ask you something. Who do you, who do you most identify with in this story? Maybe you most identify with the younger brother. Are, are you a prodigal? Maybe you wandered? You know you're at a point in your life where you say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And you know, maybe, maybe no one else knows it. But in your heart, you know that you are far from the Father. Or as you look at your heart and life, examine your heart and life, are you an older brother? A Pharisee? A recovering Pharisee with deeply entrenched morality lens? Well, Jesus says to all of us, come home. Don't remain outside in the darkness. Of, of course you're not worthy to be called God's son. No one is. So we can admit our unworthiness. Don't try to look better than you really are. Just come home. Jesus, your true older brother, reaches out to you and he says, come home. Come into the feast and dance and celebrate with the Father. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?